Four Corners Church exists to provide families in North Cincinnati their greatest opportunity to become fully developing followers of Christ. We hope that this week's episode encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We would love to hear from you. So at any time, email nextsteps at fourcornerschurch.com, and we look forward to connecting with you. Thanks for listening. What's up, Four Corners family? Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we jump into the Word, I want us to do something a little different. If you are here in the building, I don't want you to walk over to anybody, but you can just kind of stand up, maybe wave at somebody, just you know, say hi across the room. If you're online, you can go ahead and comment, say hi to somebody that you see, maybe you haven't seen them in a while, maybe there's a friend, maybe there's somebody you don't even know, just to, hey, welcome, how are you, good to see you. Let's take a moment and just do that because we're still together, we're still joining together. So wave across the room in the building, Put some comments in right now on the chat. What we're about to do is we're about to dive into the Word. And we're doing part two of a message that we started last week. And so what we did last week is we kind of brought up the issue that a lot of us are tired. We're exhausted. We are uh, kind of tapped out, so to speak. And so what we looked at is we looked at Matthew, in uh, the book of Matthew. And when Jesus taught, he said, hey, if you're tired and weary, come and follow me and I will give you rest. And so what we asked is a pretty important question. The question we asked is, if we're not experiencing rest, are we really following Jesus? And today we want to dive into that and actually see what that looks like. Because following Jesus, as we mentioned last week, isn't just something that we do. It's actually a lifestyle that we live. And so today we want to look and see what that lifestyle is. So we're going to pick up where we left off. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Just come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the time we have together. Whether we are in the building, whether we are at home, whether we are um, out at a soccer practice right now watching this, God, I just pray that you would do what only you can do. I pray that your word, your truth would speak and that our hearts and minds would be open to receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. So I need a little bit of crowd participation in this. Um, if you are in the building, you can raise your hand. If you're, in the com- if you're online, you can comment in the chat. But how many of you have ever broken something? All right, see a few hands, a few comments going up. Maybe you broke a lamp. Maybe you broke a window. Maybe you broke um, a watch. There's a number of things you could have broken. All right, second question. How many of you have broken something expensive? Maybe you broke a car. Maybe you broke a hot water heater. Maybe you broke your house. I don't know. I mean, like, what is it? Like, if that's you, put your hand up. Put in the comments, yes, that's me. I've broken something. I've broken a lot of things, right? I grew up in a home with three boys. So needless to say, we broke things all the time. I didn't have my first glass um, cup until I was married. I was 22. All we ever had was plastic and paper because we broke everything. And I remember when I turned 16, I finally got my license and I was going out of my first few dates and I just felt like, man, I was a man. I am grown up. I can do anything. But in those first 16 years growing up, I knew that every time I broke something, 
mom was going to be upset, dad was going to be mad, right? Like, you know, there's a difference there. Like, mom was going to be upset, but as soon as dad found out I broke it, I was going to be in trouble. So I'm 16, and I have this in my history, but I think I've kind of moved past that. And anyways, I'm driving home from this date. I'm feeling great about myself. I'm excited to be home. And I'm about a mile from our house, and I accidentally kind of brush up against a curb. But I brush up against it at a high enough speed that the, entire, that the tire actually blew out. Like right there in that moment. Poof. I mean, it was destroyed. So it's at night. My dad's already asleep. I just popped my tire. I'm a mile from home, and I have a choice to make. Either I can call my dad and tell him what happened and know that not only is he going to be frustrated that it happened, but now I just woke him up, or I could drive the truck home this final mile and just tell him in the morning. I'm 16, and I had a great idea. I'm just going to drive the truck home with this tire completely blown. So that's what I did. I drove it that last mile. Um, it was very loud. It was not good. Some of you right now, you're scowling, you're cringing. Like I can just kind of feel the judge, but you just need to calm down. All right. I know it was a bad decision. So I drove it home. I, I went to bed. I woke up the next morning and hey, dad, I got to I got to tell you something. I, I accidentally uh, popped the tire yesterday. Uh, you probably want to look at the truck. And so, of course, he's a little frustrated. He goes out and he looks at it, and he's asking me lots of questions. You know, what were you doing? Where were you coming from? Why did you hit the curb? You know, good questions. But I'll never forget the big question that he asked and the one that he really focused in on, rightfully so. You could probably already guess it. Now, if, if the tire was already blown, why did you drive it home? Or he asked it another way. If you knew it was broken, why did you keep going? You should have just called and you see, I think that we do that a lot in our lives, right? Because what happened in that moment is, we, is, <laughs> is what I'd done is I destroyed that whole wheel. Like it wasn't just the tire. That wheel now needed to be replaced. I actually did a lot of damage to the truck. And what happens a lot of times in our lives, maybe you haven't popped the tire. Maybe you haven't done something that's stupid. But a lot of times what we do is we know something's broken and yet we keep going. Right? Like we know that if we keep eating this poorly and eating this much junk food, we're going to have health problems, but we keep going anyways. We know that if we don't prepare for that test, that the last night we're gonna the last night's gonna get here, we're gonna be stressed, we're gonna try to cram it in, we're not gonna do well. We know that's gonna happen, but yet we still don't study. Like we know so many things are broken and yet we keep doing them. But I wonder if we would take a moment and look at our spiritual lives and ask ourselves the question, if it's broken, why keep going? We asked the question last week, are you experiencing rest? Are you experiencing a burden that is light? And for many of us, me included, the answer is no. So if I know that I'm not experiencing rest the way that God intended for me to experience, why would I keep going? That's the title of the message. If it's broken, why would you keep going? Put that in the comments right now, or if you're taking notes here in the building. If it's broken, why would I keep going? Because that's a question we have to ask our spirits. If we know it's not working, why keep going? Why keep being exhausted? Why continue down this path? You see, in order to experience the rest that God has for us, we have to at first be willing to experience the lifestyle that he has for us. We talked last week about how it's following him. So in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it starts off saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And we love this part. We love this come to me aspect. And a lot of times what we've done is we've just taken that as like a 15 minute fix. 
Come to me on Sunday morning at church and you'll get your rest. Pray for five minutes once a week and you will get your rest. And we think that it's some magical potion that he just said, come to me, I'll give you rest, and then you keep going. That's not what Jesus was saying. What he was saying was, it's not a one-time moment thing. Are you tired of your life being, being burdened? Are you exhausted? Are you willing to admit that the way you're doing things are broken? Don't just come to me for a moment. Don't just come to me for a quick fix. He's saying, come and follow me. Come and do as I do. Come and live as I live. Come and practice what I practice. You see, if you will come and choose to live a new way, if you will choose to live the way that I'm living, then you will experience rest, even in trials, even in tribulations, even in difficult times. So what are the things that Jesus did? What is the lifestyle that he set an example for that we should live in our lives? I think there's three things, and we're going to hit them real quick. Number one is Jesus kept a Sabbath. Jesus kept a Sabbath. I know this is not a sexy term. This is not something that we like. Usually we laugh off the Sabbath and act like that's not something that we experience here in this day, in this society, in this culture. But Luke chapter 4, verse 16 tells us this. It says, he went to Nazareth, speaking of Jesus, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. What was his custom? His custom was taking a Sabbath. See, he understood that honoring God, giving God a Sabbath was necessary. But you see, we look at the Sabbath as optional. I'm going to tell you something. The Sabbath isn't optional. And this is hard for me to hear because this is difficult for me, but the Sabbath isn't optional. You guys remember the, the Ten Commandments, right? In the Old Testament, the Israelites were about to go into the Promised Land, and God wanted to give them, a, you know, a short list of rules, commandments, ten things there that you need to do. And they're pretty important, right? Honor your father and mother. Don't steal. Don't murder. Um, honor the Lord. You know, like big ones. But you want to know what's not on there? There isn't a commandment to pray. It's not on there. There isn't a commandment to go to church. It's not on there. There isn't a commandment to read your Bible. That's not there. You know what is there? There's a commandment that says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's a commandment. You see, God understood that the Sabbath wasn't something that, that, that he needed from us. It's something that we needed from him, that we needed to instill this, to make it a mandate, to command it, because our bodies need rest. Our souls need rest. And so what he said is take a Sabbath Remember it. Keep it holy. Once a week, take this Sabbath because you will need it if you want to experience rest. So as I'm talking about the Sabbath, a lot of you are probably doing what I do. Well, what's the point of it? Sabbath is just something that's written in the Bible. Well, studies have actually proven that we need rest. There's a study out, uh, many studies now actually, that prove that most people, after about 50 hours of work, their productivity drops. I mean, like it just goes through the floor after 50 hours of work. Problem is many of us work more than 50 hours just at our jobs. Not only do we work more than 50 hours at our jobs, but then we have to come home and we have to work. We've got to fix the gutter. We've got to cut the grass. We've, the grass, we've got to pay the bills. Uh, we've got to take the kids to practice. We've got to clean the house. We've got to do the laundry. We've got to clean the floors. We've got to paint the new room. There's a thousand things so we're working more than 50 hours at work many times, and then we're coming home and we have more work and more work and more work, and none of those are bad things. The problem is we are absolutely exhausted because we are unwilling to take a Sabbath. 
when that Sabbath was meant not to just keep going, being tired, being tired, being tired, being tired. That Sabbath was meant to stop us and help us gain some rest. So you may be thinking, well, what's a Sabbath? Is a Sabbath where I just sit around and do nothing all day? Because that sounds horrendous. Amen. Sitting around and doing nothing is probably the worst thing I could do. That is probably more work than going to work for me. Like the physical, like having to like restrain myself to doing nothing. That is difficult. So what's a Sabbath supposed to look like? What, what, what are the outcomes of a Sabbath? Well, Sabbath looks different for everybody. Your Sabbath is probably going to look different than my Sabbath, but there's still three things that I believe that each Sabbath should contain, all right? So number one, what should your Sabbath contain? It should honor God. Every time you take a Sabbath, it is honoring God. You see, what we do is we work so hard and we do so much, and we say that I trust God. Uh, I believe that God ultimately is going to work on my behalf. I believe that ultimately God is um, going to help save my kids. Ultimately, God is who I need at my work. Ultimately, God is what I need in uh, my business or in my relationships. But we're unwilling to take a day to rest and say, I trust God that even if I don't work today, he's still going to make it happen. You see, every time that we are willing to take a Sabbath, what we're doing is we're honoring God, saying, God, I trust you. You are more important. You can do more than I can. I can work uh, 365 days in a year, but you will always do more. So I'm going to honor you by taking this day. The second thing that, it, that we do on a Sabbath is we focus on God, is we should take some time that day, whether it's going to church, whether it's prayer, whether it's reading your Bible, whether it's going on a walk and just meditating, you have to take time and focus in on God. You see, my, my wife and I, over, over the years of being married, I've seen a pattern. There are certain seasons where we take our weekly date night. And we take our weekly date night, those seasons have actually been really good for our marriage. And the seasons where we don't take the weekly date night, we, um, they're just not as good. I'll say that. My wife's great. I'm actually not as good when we don't do those weekly date nights. See, it's not that my wife needs me. She doesn't need that time with me. Our relationship will never grow stronger unless we spend that time together. It's not that she needs me. It's that the relationship will grow stronger. You see, when you take a Sabbath, you honor God, you spend time focused on him, and you strengthen that relationship. And then the third thing I think we have to do on a Sabbath is we have to enjoy God's creation. You see, one of the greatest things that, um, that I believe that God wants for our lives is he wants us to enjoy it. But we get so busy doing, 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 going, 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 working, 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 that we never stop and enjoy the season we're in right now. So what does it look like for you to enjoy God's creation? Could it be playing outside with your kids without looking at your phone and being worried about what you got to do later on and the meeting that you got on Zoom that evening? What would it look like just to play with your kids without being worried and stressed about anything? Maybe it's going on a hike, just going out and enjoying God's creation. Maybe it's going and exploring a city that you've never been to. Maybe it's just um, sleeping in and grabbing brunch with your spouse or maybe one of your best friends. Like, I don't know what it looks like for you, but if you are willing to take time to honor God by setting a day aside, saying, ultimately, God, you, Matt, you are more important than getting this work done focusing in on him, spending some time growing together with your relationship with him, and then doing something that you enjoy. Do something that you enjoy that honors God, that says, you gave me this. I want to spend time and enjoy it. So the first thing that Jesus did that we should model after his life is he kept the Sabbath. 
The second thing that Jesus did is he spent time in prayer. Know what you're saying? This sounds even less, this sounds even more lame than the Sabbath, but prayer was vital. Prayer was incredibly important to the life and ministry of Jesus. So in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 16, catch what it says. It says, yet, uh, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and he prayed. See, all throughout the Bible, all through, I'm sorry, all throughout the Gospels, we read times that Jesus would withdraw to lonely places and he would pray. What he would do is whenever he withdraw to those lonely places, that wasn't um, a sign of weakness. That was actually where he would go to get his strength. Do you remember we talked about it last week whenever he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's about to go through the hardest, most difficult season of his life, probably the most difficult thing any human will ever have to endure. And what did he do right before it? Oh, he prayed. That's right. Before he went to the most difficult, tiring, exhausting thing anyone would ever go through, he spent time and he prayed because prayer is where we gain our strength. Prayer is where we gain our rest. Prayer is where the burdens that we're carrying go from heavy to light, that it's possible. How was it possible for a physical man in Jesus to carry such a heavy burden? Well, because he first spent time in prayer and made it possible for him. So I think prayer a lot of times becomes a to-do list. Prayer for a lot of us looks like, Jesus, give me, give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And a lot of times we get so focused on trying to say the right things. And rather than trying to tell you how to pray, I'm just going to give you three things I think should happen when you pray. It's three things. Number one, the first thing that should happen when you pray is you should silence the noise. I'm going to tell you, it is impossible for me to pray with all kinds of noise going on. I know this is difficult, right? But man, I can't pray if my girls are screaming and yelling. I just... I, I love my kids. I can't pray in that, in that moment. I can't pray if the TV's going because I want to see what uh, Michael Scott is saying on The Office. Like, I just, I can't do it. You see, there's something about silencing the noise, whether that's for you, maybe for me, I have to get up early in the morning. It may look different for you, but what, what is it where you can get to a place where you silence the noise and say, I'm going to focus in on this moment right here. See, Jesus withdrew to lonely places, when he was doing ministry, he was constantly surrounded by people. But when he prayed, he withdrew to a lonely place, often early in the morning or late at night, because there was something about silencing the noise of his life. The second thing I think you need to do in prayer is you need to silence your heart. You need to silence your heart, because when we silence the noise out here, your heart begins to really speak. See, I'm not going to tell you what you should and shouldn't say in a prayer. What I do think you need to do is you need to let your heart speak in the prayer. You just said silence. Your heart will never be silenced unless you first give it an avenue to speak. And too often, we're not letting our heart speak. We're just too busy trying to ignore it. So what you need to do in your prayers, you need to silence the noise. And Jesus, God already knows what you need. So quit being worried about saying the right things and focus more on just letting your heart speak. Let your heart get it all out. How do you really feel? Are you mad? Are you frustrated? Are you hurt? Are you struggling with anxiety? Like, let your heart speak. Get it all out. And once it's all out, you've said everything you need to say, then your heart is silent. So we've got silence the noise. We've got silence your heart. And the third and most important piece that I think that we fail to incorporate into our prayer is take time to listen to his voice. Take time to listen to him. I tell you, if all you want to do is just talk to somebody, there's a wall right over there to your left or to your right, or depending on where you're sitting, maybe in front of you, maybe behind you. If all you need to do is just talk to somebody, then just say it out loud, then you've got anything. Just talk to any inanimate object that you have. 
You see, whenever we take time for prayer, it's not just about talking to God, but it's also about listening to him. How do I do that? You take time. You silence the noise. No more distractions. You silence your heart. Say everything your heart needs to say. And then listen and see what God wants to speak to your life. So we have the first thing, Jesus kept the Sabbath. The second thing is Jesus, uh, Jesus kept prayer, an important part of his life. And the third thing is Jesus had a small group. Jesus had a small group. He had people in his life who were important, but people who were constantly around him. So we look and we see that Jesus had lots of people. He had the disciples. He had people who just followed him. He had people who he did miracles for. He had people uh, who thought good of him. He had people who thought negatively of him. But I wonder who was there on his darkest day? Who was there on the day that Jesus was crucified on a cross? Who were the people that were sitting there that were truly his deepest, closest friends, the people who believed in him? The most? Who, who were those people? Well, John chapter 19, verses 25 and 26 tell us that. So catch who's here on the cro- at the cross. It says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. So I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm like, well, where are the rest of the disciples? Like he spent a lot of time with them. Where's Andrew? Where's James? Where's Peter? What's going on? You guys should be here. He needs you. What about all the incredible miracles that he did for people? What about Lazarus? Where's Lazarus? He raised him from the dead. What about the guy who was blind that he gave his sight to or the paralytic who, would, who he gave the ability to walk again? He did miracle after miracle for people. I mean, he invested so much time, so many resources, so much incredible good was done. But in his darkest moment, on his hardest day, none of those people were there. There was just a small group. So I wonder for you, on your darkest day, when things are as tough as they're ever going to be, do you have a small group that's going to be there? Do you have a group of people who believe in you, who are going to support you, who are going to have your back? Maybe things are going to be really, really tough at work. Maybe one day, maybe you've experienced it recently, maybe you lost your job. Who are the people who were around you in that moment? Maybe some of you, you're struggling with, man, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really trying to raise my kids right, and it seems like everything I'm doing is wrong. One day, if you get a call that your kid has done something, man, they just, they crossed a line. Who are going to be the people that are there to support you? Or maybe it's all going to face us one day. We're going to get a terminal illness or, or death is going to be right at our doorstep. Who are going to be the people that are there for you on that day? See, if you'd be honest, I'd be willing to bet a vast majority of us don't know. You don't know. You don't know who the three, four, five, six people who truly love you and are always going to be there for you. Who are those people that are going to be there in your life? You see, Jesus was able to find rest, not just by taking a Sabbath, not just by praying, but also by being surrounded with people who truly loved and cared for him. You see, I think there are, guess what, three things that we should look for in those friends and those type of people in our small group. And it's pretty simple. Number one is, does their life honor God? Does their life honor God? Maybe a lot of people that you like, and there's a lot of good people out there, but if their life does not honor God, they're not a part of your inner group. They're not a part of the people that you, could, that you should be counting on. You want people in your life who honor God in everything that they do. Number one is, do they honor God? Number two is, are they willing to challenge you? 
Like there are a lot of people who will always celebrate you and say you're great and you're awesome and you can do anything, but are they willing to challenge you that whenever you've stepped over the line, they point you back to God? One of the greatest friends and mentors in my life, the thing that he says all the time and I've incorporated now that I say to people is in every single circumstance, he says, how are you honoring God? It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Are you honoring God? You need people in your life who are willing to do that. And the third piece, this is the least important, but it is important, is do you enjoy being around them? So you got to make sure that they, their life honors God. You have to make sure they're willing to challenge you. And you also got to make sure that you enjoy being around them. Well, why is that important? Because there are a lot of people who fit the first two criteria, but they're not meant to be in your inner circle. There's a group of people to have in your inner circle that, man, these are people who love me. These are people who care for me. But first, their life honors God. Two, they're willing to challenge me. And then three, I enjoy being around them. People are going to come. People are going to go. Just like with Jesus, there were so many people who were a part of his story. But on the day that he needed them the most, on the day that he was on the cross, most of them were not there. There are good people that are going to come in and out of your life. But on the day that you need somebody, do you have a small group of people whose life honors God, who they're willing to challenge you and you enjoy doing life with? So if we want to experience rest, if we want to experience um, a light burden and an easy yoke, it's pretty simple. We have to follow the lifestyle of Jesus, which is one, take a Sabbath. Two, spend time in prayer. And three, have a small group. So what I want to do is I want to pray for us. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, I pray that we would be challenged and that, God, we would execute with courage the ability to take a Sabbath. God, I pray that, uh, that as we begin to focus in on you through prayer, that, God, we would silence the noise, we would silence our hearts, and we would listen to you. And, God, also I pray that if we don't, now that, God, we would immediately begin to surround ourselves with an inner circle of solid people, a good small group who love and care for us as they love and care for you. God, I thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we believe in doing at Four Corners. We don't believe in just hearing a message and being stirred. We believe in taking next bold steps. So if you're watching this, whether in the building or online, I want you to do is I want you to take a step with us. If you haven't already, you can text the word Connect 4C to the number 94000 and take some bold steps with us. Bold step number one, bold step A is pretty simple. If you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to commit your life to the Lord, you can do that right now. Maybe you haven't done it. Maybe you somehow stumbled onto this message and you have no idea really how you got here, but you know that God is speaking. Check. Bold step A, we want to connect with you. Or bold step B says, hey, I want to get baptized. I want to take that next step in my faith. When is the next baptism? Tell me about it. I want to be there. Or how about this? Bold step C says, I will take a Sabbath this week. And remember, we call this a bold step. So we're saying, what, what is something bold you could do? You could take a Sabbath this week, a week away from work, away from uh, the difficult day, a week of, uh, a day this week of Sabbath. Say, man, I, I want to try that. Man, I, I think that I need to do that in my life. Go ahead and check bold step C. Or bold step D says, I will practice silencing the noise. I will practice silencing my heart, and I will listen to God in prayer this week. Man, that's difficult. It's, it's probably different than a lot of the ways that you've prayed in the past. You say, you know what? I want to take that bold step. This week in prayer, I want to silence the noise. I want to silence my heart. I want to listen to God. Or if uh, bold step E says, I don't have a good small group. Would you pray for me? 
I don't have a good inner circle. I don't have people that I think honor God who are willing to challenge me and I enjoy doing life with. Would you pray for me that I would find those? Because I'm telling you, that is vital and important. If that's you, check bold step E. What we're doing right now is we're, we're getting prepared to take up our offering. Whether you're online, you can text, you can give. And I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness. You've probably noticed the last few weeks that we've been able to um, enhance some things. Our online experience is getting better because you have given. And I'm going to tell you, not just you, but there are people, not just in our community, but around the country and around the world who are experiencing God's message, God's truth because of your faithfulness. So thank you for continuing to give. Now, right now, I want to pray, whether you're giving right now or whether you're giving sometime soon, I want to go ahead and pray that God would honor that and honor the bold steps that we've taken. God, thank you so much for who you are. I pray for anyone taking a bold step this morning. God, you would give them courage to be bold, whether that's to take a Sabbath this week, whether that's to um, silence the noise, silence the heart, listen to you in prayer. Or God, whether that's people who are looking for a small group of people to be with. God, I pray that you would be with us as we take these bold steps. I pray that every dollar that is given to this church, you would continue to bless, you continue to multiply, you would continue to take your message and your truth far beyond the walls that I'm standing in right now. And God, we thank you, we give you praise, we give you glory in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining in today to the 4C podcast. If you took a next step or you'd like to receive prayer, go ahead and email nextsteps at fourcornerschurch.com and we look forward to connecting with you. Thanks for listening.